A moment's prayer before the sermon. Let us pray. May the words that I speak now, the thoughts and the feelings that we all now experience, be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, snow. Isn't it fun? When Marion and I came to Rome, we thought one of the benefits of it would be we would escape a British snowy winter. And what happened? Snow all over the place. It had a very interesting set of effects yesterday. At nine o'clock yesterday morning, the booked car that was meant to be taking the Reverend Professor Robert Gribbon from our house to the airport, because Robert, who shared with me in the service last Sunday, had been with us for a week, uh, was on his way, he was passing through Rome from Australia, and then on his way yesterday via Heathrow to New York, his car at nine o'clock did not arrive. So you then had two British people, Marion and I, and an Australian, trying to work out what to do and what a Roman would do in such circumstances. As the day went on, and we were still stuck in the centre of Rome, and he missed his plane, he and I made a conscious decision as we got very cold waiting for trains and buses and taxis that never materialised, we made a conscious decision that we would have to put aside, in my case, my very English set of anxieties, and in his case, his very Australian mindset, and simply go with the Roman flow. There was absolutely nothing we could do about the situation other than try and take opportunities as they arose. And gradually, with help from various people, he got on a much later flight yesterday to Heathrow and was going to, couldn't get out of Heathrow last night, was going to stop overnight in Heathrow, and I woke up this morning to discover 350 flights cancelled out of Heathrow Airport. So where he is now, I do not know. But he and I decided that in this situation, we would have to become as Roman as we possibly could allowing for the fact that I was English and he was Australian. And it suddenly struck me that when Paul says, you have to enculturate yourself, when with the Jews you have to be like the Jews, when with the Gentiles you have to be as much like the Gentiles as possible, I'd actually had a practical worked example of my own sermon. And it was very hard to do it, I can promise you. And I want to spend quite a bit of time this morning, if I may, concentrating on the gospel reading that we just heard. If you like, in this passage of Mark's gospel, you get something like a typical day in the life of Jesus. Early in the gospel, Mark gives you this quick account of what Jesus is doing. And he doesn't spend long on any bit of it. He just gives you an overall flavor of a typical day in the life of Jesus. Last week we heard the first half of the day because it is the Sabbath and Jesus spends time in the synagogue where he both expounds the scriptures and helps a man who is caught up with all sorts of forces messing his life about who Jesus frees from all that. 
And after they've finished in the service at the synagogue, they go to Simon's and Andrew's house, and they've got the other two brothers, James and John, with them. And in the house, they discover that Simon's mother-in-law is ill. And Jesus, interestingly, I think, for a Jewish male, pays attention to the women in the household. And he goes and finds her and touches her interesting, takes her by the hand and helps her get up off her sickbed. And the fever that has been attacking her goes and she's able to resume normal life. Now we could have a discussion at this point. Because what Simon's mother-in-law starts doing is she then starts rushing around looking after all the men. And there was one reading of this story which says Jesus is only really interested in helping Simon's mother-in-law get better because he actually needs someone to prepare a meal for him and to rush around looking after him. He actually makes it possible for no going, raising her from a sick bed come and sit down next to me, have a rest, let's have a conversation. No, she's straight into the kitchen. But maybe Simon's mother-in-law was like that anyway. But I think the point of the story is that Jesus notices people who would otherwise be thought of as insignificant in a situation and notices their need, and if necessary, is even prepared to break through social expectations in order to respond to that person and help that person become what they ought to be and do what they want to do. Simon's mother-in-law becomes a functioning member of the group and plays her part from there on. And all this notice happens on the Sabbath when you're not meant to do much work but no one is objecting at this point. Elsewhere in the Gospel stories people object when Jesus starts healing people on the Sabbath. No talk of it here. And the other interesting thing about it is he's also on the Sabbath cured the man in the synagogue itself. And there's a very interesting thing here that Jesus replicates in a private situation, in a household, what he also does in public in a religious situation on the same day. When he's prepared to meet somebody in need and cure and heal them in the synagogue, when he encounters people who need healing in a private situation, in this case a family situation, he responds in exactly the same way. And I was saying last week, one of the things in the story a few verses earlier about Jesus in the synagogue is that he teaches and acts with integrity, where the whole of his being is at one. 
What he does is totally at one with what he says. What he says is totally at one with the sort of person he is. The sort of person he is is totally at one with what he does and says. And he does not make a distinction between how he acts in public space and how he acts in private space. He does not make a distinction between how he is and how he speaks and what he does in a religious setting from how he is and what he does and what he says in a personal setting or a private setting. I wonder if that's true of us. I wonder if it's true of ministers like me. Probably not as true as it ought to be in my case. I think I'm quite good at being one sort of person in a religious setting and another sort of person privately. Well, the news about Jesus goes around the place. And so, as soon as the sun goes down, people are rushing to find him. It's quite significant that it's as soon as the sun goes down, because the Jewish day started as the first star comes out after sunset. The day starts in the evening and goes through to the next evening. So when the sun goes down and the first star comes out, the Sabbath has ended, which means that people can start working again, which means that they can start carrying the sick on pallets and they can all rush to see him. They're no longer constrained by only being able to walk a few hundred yards. They can go greater distances. And as soon as they can, therefore, they rush to see him. To the extent that it feels like the whole of the community is gathered around this house because they can't get any more inside. They're gathered around the door and they have brought to him all the people who are in difficulty in their lives, who are ill, who are socially having problems, who are victims of all sorts of problem and evil and difficulty and Jesus responds to them all to each one in their need he responds and frees them to be better people to live better lives to live easier lives And Mark just gives you that snapshot. Soon as Jesus speaks and does things, the news goes round, and suddenly he's surrounded by need. And his reaction, early the following morning, is very interesting. He goes away. Now, you would expect the saviour of the world, whose duty it was to heal and help people, to love people, you would expect if he thought there's all these people in need who've been here yesterday evening, they're going to come back this morning, you would have thought that his duty would have been to stay there. 
but he doesn't. He goes out to pray. Because the busier he gets, the more he needs some space to reflect on what is happening and to centre himself on the love of God. He needs to open himself to God so that God is able to direct him and guide him. And Simon and Andrew and James and John presumably wake up in the morning and look around and he's vanished. They've been with him in the synagogue, they've been with him in Simon's house, they've seen Simon's mother-in-law healed, they've seen Jesus helping all these other people throughout the evening. And the next morning he's vanished. So they go looking for him. And they find him out in the desert praying. And they say to him, everybody's looking for you. Now if you think through what's been going on, everyone expected to find Jesus at Simon's house. So Simon has presumably had hundreds of people knocking on the door saying, where's Jesus from first thing in the morning? And Simon has been made to look foolish because he doesn't know the answer. When he says he's not here, people think he's putting them off, he's fobbing them off, that Jesus is hiding inside. And Simon's just trying to get people to go away. So when Simon comes and says, everyone's searching for you, there's a bit of a complaint in that. How dare you, Jesus, abandon me to deal with needy people? Take over from me, please. Don't leave me to be doing your work. Do it for me. And Jesus then shares the fruits of what's been happening in his prayer. Because in his prayer, he's actually been trying to discover what the priorities are. And his answer is peculiar. He says, we need to be moving on from here. We can't just stop here because we have to proclaim the message in other places as well. Because that's what I was sent to do. That's what I came to do. And I suspect that Jesus is concerned that people may only start to respond to him because of physical need. And he actually came to proclaim about God as well. And he says that he needs to move on because he's not just called to be in one place. And if you read the rest of the Gospel, one of, I think, the disconcerting things about Jesus is that he keeps popping up in all sorts of unexpected places. And in my experience, the raised Christ present in the Spirit also pops up when you least expect him. Constantly on the move. And so he goes throughout Galilee. And he's proclaiming the fact that God is 
present and active in the middle of people's lives. And he's also helping release people from whatever oppresses them, from all the evil and difficult things in life that prevent people living life to the full. Jesus helps them. God is present, he says in word, and he makes God present for people through the way he helps them. And all that springs out of his prayer. And he goes from place to place, proclaiming, healing, and praying. And he responds to each situation he comes across throughout the gospel in terms of the needs of that person and the needs of that situation. And that takes us back to Paul. Paul learnt that lesson from Jesus. And so Paul says, and you need to remember Paul's history, Paul, the ultra Pharisee, the ultra-committed Orthodox Jew who found himself mixing with Gentiles because of the effect of Jesus on him. And Paul says, when I'm with Jews, I try not to offend them I try and work with their customs and their expectations in order that I can talk to them about Jesus and show them Jesus so that they can discover Jesus. <coughs> Whereas if I started off arguing with them about whether you can eat that sort of food or that sort of food, we would never actually get to the real conversation about Jesus. And when I'm with Gentiles, he says, I behave as much like Gentiles, non-Jews, as I possibly can, so that again, through what I say and what I do, they may meet Christ. And again, if I started saying, I can't eat that, or you've got to eat this, with Gentiles, we would have an age-old argument and discussion, but we will never get to the presence of Jesus. To the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I could win some of them to Christ, as many of them as I could to Christ. To the Gentiles, I came, became as a Gentile. To the Americans, I became like an American. To the Italians, I became like an Italian. To the British, I became like the British. To try and win as many as possible for Christ. And to do that, Paul had to have that thing we were talking about last week. That sort of authority that springs out of integrity. You can only behave in different ways with different people and not be duplicitous 
if you are really sure of who you are in yourself. And you can only find that integrity in yourself if you spend your time deep in prayer. So Paul practices what in his own life, what he has learnt from Jesus, as we have seen in the Gospel reading today. And Christ requires his church today not to become all things to all people so that it never has an opinion of its own, but to engage with people as they are in their situations, in their culture, so that the really important thing of the encounter between them and Christ may take place. Pray God that we may have the integrity to do the same. Amen.